Hello, I'm Brandon Martini, a commercial pilot and flight instructor. And I'm Carson Vasquez, I'm a private pilot. And you're listening to the Aviation Mentors Podcast, sponsored by Stratus Financial. So buckle up, because the Aviation Mentors are taking off. Welcome back, everybody, to a great episode of the Aviation Mentors Podcast. Uh, Since it's summertime, or kind of the end of summertime, and everyone wants to do long cross-country flights... Uh, to new places, fly new airplanes, do all the cool things you you wanted to do because you why did you become a pilot, right? Um, so today we're going to be talking about all sorts of different types of terrain uh, and the fun that fun challenges that come with it. Um, flying in in the desert, in the mountains, over water, all of these things are different and challenging for for various reasons. So I'm excited we're going to get to talk about it today, Carson. This was a great idea. By the way, this was all Carson's idea to talk about this episode today. So every once in a while, it has actually a a good idea. Thanks. Uh, yeah, it wasn't even Chad GPT today. It was actually me. So you should be even more impressed. Thank you for our audience. I appreciate that. You're welcome. <laughs> well, uh, you know, Brady, you've had experience flying pretty much over everything from mountains to oceans and the desert in between. So let's start at the very top, uh, pun intended. What are the uh, the challenges that you kind of face when you're flying over the mountains or around mountains? Uh, lots of things. Uh, you you face wind direction. Uh, so also wind is a lot stronger at higher altitudes, right? I mean, that's why there's a jet stream and that's why jets fly so high because they want to get that tailwind if they can. Oh, actually they fly so high for a number of reasons, but uh, one of them is because of the wind and you want to get a, a tailwind behind you if you can. There's different types of wind at different altitudes. So that can affect your aircraft uh, in various ways. Uh, one way is mountain waves, which means that air went over a mountain and then it causes kind of a wave of air after that, which can create turbulence and instability in the air. Uh, there's also um, when when wind goes up and over a mountain, it goes down a valley and then up the other side of the mountain. So depending on which side you're on, uh, you could actually get forced to the ground and you might not be able to climb to get out of it, uh, especially in high density altitude uh, areas. And I know we talked about density altitude a few times, but uh, density altitude is a huge killer of, of pilots. Uh, if you don't realize what the density altitude is, you could go into a canyon, uh, you could go uh, a canyon in a mountainous range and not be able to get out. There's also, you can go into what's called blind canyons. I know I'm just kind of talking top level on everything, but you can go into blind canyons where there's no way to get out. There's no way to turn around. That's a big killer of pilots as well. So you want to make sure that you're you're well-versed in, in mountain flying. And in general, let's just say you're well-versed in mountain flying in Southern California. It doesn't mean you can go backcountry mountain flying in Alaska or in uh, Idaho or Utah without knowing the terrain and knowing exactly where you're flying. So make sure you get a mountain flying course from a competent CFI that's local to the area that you're flying in, because you want to be able to get out of a sticky situation or learn how to not get yourself into that sticky situation in the first place. I mean, that's a, that's a big one. So it kind of brings my next question about, uh, you know, altitude and terrain affecting the plane's performance in the mountains. Uh, so you can, yeah, if you're flying too low, you can get stuck essentially too low with that density altitude. I understand that. Um, but if you're flying high enough around a mountain, should you be okay? Yes, except for there could be more turbulent air due to those mountain waves that I was talking about, things like that. So the answer is yes. If you're flying over a mountain, you should be okay. But if I were you, I'd fly two or 3,000 feet above the the mountain just so you can kind of be away from all of that weather if you possibly can. Uh, but 
if you really know the mountainous area, you know the weather, you know that where the wind is coming from, you know all of these things, you could potentially fly lower and closer to that mountain. But you really need to be experienced and understand the weather patterns in that area and understand what the weather's doing on and around that mountain for the day that you're flying. Cool. Uh, I, I get that it's a it's a pretty broad question I'm about to ask, uh, but are there any specific aircraft that are just better suited for mountain flying? Um, I, I know everyone's airplane's different and everyone's skills different, but speaking to just the airplanes, is there something that's better than others or parts that you really want to have? Yeah, of course. Uh, anything that has a turbo in it, because then you can create more manifold pressure uh, and density altitude will still affect you, by the way. It just won't affect you as badly as a normally aspirated aircraft uh, because you'll be able to create more power and more manifold pressure. Therefore, you can spin that propeller quicker and you could uh, you can take off easier, you can climb easier, you can do all sorts of things. Also, aircraft with a climb prop, that will also help a little bit as well or with a variable uh, pitch propeller or constant speed prop as it's also called. Um, those are different different things that can help you out in mountainous flying. Uh, but I would say the biggest thing is a turboed airplane or a uh, like a turbojet airplane or something like that. So, But aside from, you know, if people don't have access to a plane that's a turbo prop or something cool, uh, can you fly pretty much any plane around a mountain? Be pretty much okay? Uh, you can. Yeah, you can fly any plane around a mountain. It just depends on how high the mountain is. I mean, if there's a mountain peak that's 12,000 feet, and your aircraft has a ceiling of 12,000 feet, well, guess what? That doesn't leave you with any uh, margin of error. Uh, but so I would say, yes, you can fly any aircraft around a mountain. It doesn't really matter. But keep in mind what the density altitude is. And remember, the ceiling on your airplane is whatever the density altitude is outside. So if the ceiling on your airplane is 12,000 feet, but you're at 8,000 and the density altitude is 12,000 feet, guess what? You're not climbing anymore, even at 8,000 feet. So you're going to be staying there and not moving whatsoever. You're not going to be climbing. You're going to be getting closer and closer to stalling uh, because the only way you can maintain your altitude is by pitching up. And if you're out of power, guess what? You're going to eventually slow down and get to a stall. And by the way, that is what happens once you get to your, uh, to your, your ceiling in your airplane. And I would recommend that everybody goes and finds what that ceiling is, especially if you own or rent an airplane, uh, just so you know how high you could fly. And obviously if you're going into the higher altitudes, uh, make sure that you also are bringing oxygen with you. If you're over 12,500, um, for all the different regula regulations we have, uh, regarding oxygen requirements. The long answer is yes, you can take any airplane mountain flying, but it's not recommended. Um, sometimes. <laughs> well, long story long. Thank you, Brandon. <laughs> No problem. I, that's the, that's what I do best. <laughs> uh, so that's why you're a good CFI, or at least a, a semi decent one. Thanks. But of course, uh, <laughs> the total opposite of mountains. Uh, let's talk about oceans for a little bit. So you know, you might not have had the experience with the the Trans Pacific flights, the Trans Pacific flights, and those types of of really long haul flights and some giant jets. But you have flown to Catalina. I know that plenty of times. Uh, and there's more water there in that flight than most people fly over. Or some people even see in their whole life. So uh, what do you really need to prepare for with flying over water? Well, first off, take a seaplane, um, like an Icon A5, for, for example. <laughs> uh, uh, take, take out your local Icon A5. Okay, got that. Yeah, local Icon A5. So all, everybody on here should have access to one of those, I'm sure, uh, or a seaplane of some sort. Just 
of course. I mean, that's what you should do. Um, no, in real, <laughs> in, in real talk, uh, actually I wouldn't, I've taken the icon. I landed in Long Beach Harbor, uh, but I would not land it at Catalina, like on the water. It's just too choppy. Um, the icon only has, you can only do like 12 inch waves in it, 12 inches. Um, so the swells end up being bigger than that in the ocean sometimes. And sometimes you can't even land on the water. So it just kind of is what it is. But so some things that you should do to prepare is know what the distance is and the, the glide distance your aircraft needs to glide to land. Because if you are over gliding distance uh, from the land, then you need to have life vests in the airplane and make sure they're bright orange or some bright color that can be easily seen from the sky. Because I guarantee, I tell everyone, look at a sectional and I want you to look at how big the Los Angeles area basin is. And then I want you to look to the left of LAX and then take that like visually, you can actually on the, on the sectional, you can take your fist and like, you can put your hand over it. And that's how big the whole LA basin is on your, on your sectional. So you put a hand over the fist or hand over the LA basin. It'll be around the same size as your fist. And then take your fist and go ahead and put it right over that water. And then imagine flying over that water and actually having to uh, have an emergency there. Like that is the same size as the entire LA basin. And you think somebody's going to find you? it's highly unlikely. Nobody's going to find you. It's like, it's like going to be finding a small needle in a giant's uh, needles stack, not even a haystack, like one little needle in a, in a big needle stack. It's, it's almost impossible. So if you don't have something bright and identifying, it's going to be very difficult. So you also, I mean, your ELT might go off. Maybe that'll work. I don't even know if it would once it hits the water and goes underneath, but it's not going to work very well. And there's no black boxes on our small aircraft. So you need to make sure that you're being safe. Make sure that you're flying glide distance if you can uh, over the water. I know a lot of pilots that won't even fly over water. And it's for good reason. It's because you will never be found. Uh, so That's crazy. That's not even a way I would think to put it. When you put it in those terms, that's, yeah. Like, like what are the odds that someone's actually going to find you uh, if you don't do things the right way? Exactly. So... so I mean, you, you see videos of people that are just skimming the water. Um, I mean, how do you feel about that? Well, I think it looks really cool. Uh, mm-hmm. It does. It does. Uh, I don't know if I would do it. I think I could do it. I think I have the skill set to be able to do it. And I think a lot of those people have the skill set to do it. But what you're talking about is called air, aircraft water skiing. And it's where where people take these big bush tires and they just skim them across the water. Well, you could imagine how that's dangerous because if they go a little too deep, it's just going to tip that airplane over and make you like crash into the water. So I don't think it's a very smart thing to do. So I don't think I would ever do it personally. It's just not my, I mean, I have a high risk tolerance, but that's for no reason. Like it's not that I don't need to go have that much fun. Like I don't, yeah, that's not my thing. So I'm happy that other people do it. Cause I like watching it, but it's so risky uh, and it's, it's dangerous. So I'm not a big fan of, of doing it myself. Um, but I would say if you're going to prepare over water, make sure that you have those life vests. And if you're going to fly over a lot of water, you need to have like supplies with you and maybe a, a raft. Uh, like there's no reason why you should be flying over that much water. Just go fly over some land. I mean, even if you're flying from Hawaii, you're like inner island. It's not going to be that much space between the two, right? I mean, there's some space there, but it's not going to be a trans-Pacific flight or transatlantic flight. It's nothing that crazy. Um, but just going to Catalina, make sure that you're you're high enough to glide to land. You only have to be five or 6,000 feet to be able to glide to land and then still bring those supplies with you. I mean, you don't need to bring the, uh, 
you don't have to bring the raft with you on that, but you should definitely have life vests. And I know at the at different flight schools that I've I've flown at, I always make sure there's life vests if I'm going to Catalina. It's for one, if you're not gliding distance uh, from the from the uh, from the coast, then it's illegal. You need to have it per FAA regulations. Uh, but even if you are gliding distance, you probably want to have them anyways. Even if you're a great swimmer, and I am a very good swimmer, and I would still have them because trying to go fight the currents in the ocean. By the way, you can't fight them. It's very difficult. You have to like, I don't know, swim sideways to quote unquote fight the currents. So I'd be really careful with that. Well, speaking about the the currents in the ocean, we've talked a lot about landing a plane and emergency landings and all sorts of those things. But like, how do you actually perform an emergency landing in the ocean? Um, yeah, but before you put on those life vests or, or before you need them, sorry, how do you actually do it? Well, if you know you're going to be ditching in the ocean, you should have those life vests on and ready to go. Uh, first off, uh, you should do all of your normal checklist. Number one, uh, try to get the airplane flying again. But if it's not going to, and you have to ditch in the airplane, you want to look and see which waves, which way the waves are flowing, and you want to land with the waves. Uh, if you land against the waves, you don't know how strong they are, and it could be like hitting a wall. So you don't want to do that, especially if you hit a wave. So land going with the waves, start off with that. Um, outside of that, you want to make sure that you have full flaps. A lot of people think, oh, I don't want to have full flaps. I, I'm, I can't uh, stay off the, the ground as long. My sink rate's going to increase. Yes, all of those things are true, but it's also going to slow you down. So if you imagine hitting a wall in your car going 60 miles an hour, and you imagine hitting a wall in your car going 30 miles an hour, which one are you more likely to die in? Right. And, uh, another pilot and a DP friend of mine gave me a statistic one day. I don't remember what the exact numbers were, but essentially it was depending on how fast you go is going to depend on how much room you're going to need to slow down, which is physics, right? So if you're going 60 miles an hour and you hit, if you go onto gravel and you slow down, it's going to take you X number of feet to slow down. But if you go slower, it's actually exponentially less uh, ground that you need to uh, that you need to slow down. And it's the same thing with the water. Uh, I hope that makes sense from a, from a perspective, listening to the podcast, but essentially the slower you're going, the less room it's going to take for you to slow down and the less harm and less G forces you're going to put on your body. Therefore, you're not going to hurt yourself as badly or at all, the slower you're going. And what do flaps do when you put in flaps? They slow you down. They allow, they, they extend that cord line and they allow you to actually slow down uh, especially when you're landing. That's why we use flaps right now. That's why big airplanes use flaps. So you want to make sure that you do that over the ocean. And I've seen a few videos where people go ditching uh, in the ocean or on a, on a beach and they don't use flaps. And they think that they have a better glide ratio because of that. That's what their thought process is when they're landing and when they're going through this emergency. And I used to think that way too. I used to think, oh, well, I can stay off the ground a lot longer and I can probably get rid of my my energy a lot longer I can even most likely get myself into ground effect, which I could slow down even more or water effect, whatever you want to call it. And then I can touch down slower. Well, guess what? When you have the flaps out, it's going to do all of those same, same things again. So put the flaps out. All of those things are going to happen, except for you're going to be going slower, which is safer. So that's something that you definitely want to do. Another thing is if you're flying an aircraft with retractable landing gear, have the landing gear up for a water landing. So when you become a seaplane pilot, uh, you always say um, landing gear up for water landing or down for, for uh, land 
land landing. <laughs> I don't know. You can say it a bunch of different ways, but uh, landing gear down for, for kind of a firm landing or landing gear up for water landing. That's really the one you want to listen for. Landing gear up for water landing and you're consciously leaving the gear up while you're landing. And the first few times you do it, it's very difficult. And Carson, you can probably speak to that experience flying the Icon in, in Oshkosh. Um, so you want to also leave that landing gear up. By the way, if you're flying a fixed gear airplane like a Cessna 172, you are going to have that landing gear down. There's no moving it up. So that's another reason why you want to have the flaps and be going as slow as possible because you are going to tip over. You are going to flip upside down no matter what. Uh, that's just going to happen. Um, with a an aircraft that has a gear that goes up and down, uh, then you can actually raise that gear and there's a less likelihood of you tipping over and flipping upside down. You still might, but it's less likely to happen. So I like flying planes with uh, with retractable landing gear for that reason. I also like flying twins because I like uh, a second engine to get me to an airport. And I, that means I don't have to go ditch in the ocean. <laughs> you, you should be scared to go fly over the ocean. Everybody should be. I mean, I wouldn't say scared. You should just know exactly what to, to do. Be gliding distance. Go land on a beach. But just know if that beach is crowded, you need to make sure you don't hurt somebody on the ground. So you're going to be ditching um, in some big wave. So keep that in mind. <laughs> it makes sense to me, but kind of makes me a little scared of uh, flying over the ocean now. Yeah, I think I've only I've only done it one time. Um, it wasn't didn't feel normal. I can tell you that. But uh, we, we, we yeah, I mean you've seen videos of people who are ditching in the ocean, but they would have liked to land on the beach, but had to land just offshore. Um, but you know, it is a little little nerve wracking. Uh, there's there's a lot that needs to go into flying over the ocean, but. You know, luckily, we live in a desert here in California. Uh, it's been about 100 degrees lately and more 100 degree heat coming up. So it definitely feels like we live in the desert, too. Uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about density altitude on this episode and in the past ones. But how does the desert heat really affect the performance of the airplane and, and what can it do to it? So I know we've talked about the heat in airplanes before, but let's just cover that again. Well, first off, if... You don't have air conditioning. <laughs> it's going to be very hot in that aircraft. So you're going to be sweating a lot. Um, you're going to be dehydrated. Uh, it's not going to be a pleasant feeling on your physiological self. So you need to think about that first off, like how much water do you have and things like that. Other than that, your uh, oil pressure might be a little bit different. Your oil temp is going to be hotter. You want to really make sure that you're babying that engine. Uh, you might you might need to play with the, the leaning and enriching settings that are a little bit different than usual. You might want to cool down the engine. And how do you cool down the engine? You enrich in the mixture. It's the only way to cool down the engine. If you, if you want to get the engine warmer, you can lean out the mixture. Um, those are some, some tricks that you can do to, to change the performance of your aircraft besides just changing the, the fuel burn on the aircraft, which is what most private pilots learn to do. They, they want to increase the fuel burn or sorry, lower the fuel burn and increase your performance, right? That's why people learn to use the mixture properly when they're climbing and when they're descending. Uh, but there's other reasons to do it too. And that's to cool down the engine or warm up the engine. Uh, there's other things you can do. And if you have something called cow flaps, you can open up cow flaps and you can close cow flaps depending on what you want to do. Obviously in the desert, you'd probably want to open up those cow flaps um, and, and cool down that engine a little bit more. So also we talked about density altitude. It's going to be very difficult to climb sometimes or sometimes impossible to climb. I flew a Cherokee six one time to Oshkosh several years ago, and I flew it from California all the way to Oshkosh. And the most dangerous part about that flight, actually, I flew a Cherokee six a few weeks ago. 
Um, I talked about that. I flew it with a, a gentleman. We took it all the way to uh, first flight, uh, which I need to have an episode on that whole flight because it was so amazing. Maybe that's in the next episode we'll do. Uh, but I told him in the beginning, I said, by the way, from California, Phoenix is semi, semi dangerous because we're over the desert the whole time. But I said, from Phoenix to Albuquerque area is by far the most dangerous part of this flight. You get altimeter changes that will, will uh, lower you and raise you 2000 feet. You have, uh, issues with radio communications with center or, or whatever the approach controller is in the area. You have problems with aircraft performance. You have problems with engine overheating. You have problems with you overheating. You have problems that there's no airports to land for you to use the bathroom. There are so many things that kind of go into flying with the desert. Uh, also guess what happens in the afternoons over the desert? thunderstorms. Uh, and at nighttime, usually thunderstorms. So what do you do? You've got to deal with those as well. At least in the summer, that's what happens, obviously. Different parts of the year, that doesn't really happen. But uh, you need to plan for those thunderstorms. And you need to make sure that you stay away from those thunderstorms and see how far away they are. So have foreflight and have different things that are managing that. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. I had, uh, had fun talking about this subject. It's something I have quite a bit of passion for, as you could tell, especially in density altitude. Uh, so make sure you check your density altitude before every flight and make sure you get adequate training. Remember, everything that we talked about today is just my opinion. It's not necessarily uh, giving you flight instruction or training. Uh, so please uh, take what I say and double check it with FAA materials and, uh, and make sure what I'm saying is 100% true and correct. Um, so you can't blame me if you crash into that mountain <laughs> um, or into that water. But uh, honestly, um, I know uh, everybody listening to this, you're listening because you want to be a safer, better pilot, or you're looking for a new career opportunity. So I want to say first off, thank you again for listening uh, to our podcast. We really enjoy making it and, uh, and we wouldn't be doing it without all of our listeners. So um, with that being said, if you want to reach out to either one of us, you can reach us on our emails. It's Brandon at AviationMentors.com or for Carson, it's Carson at AviationMentors.com. Hey, that does wrap up for the day. Remember, we're here to guide you in your aviation journey. So fly safe and enjoy the ride. See ya.